welcome, welcome, welcome. For all of you who have worshiped with us now in person or online, thank you for joining us for worship today. We're launching a new series in the month of July in Luke chapter 15. So Luke 15, verse 1 through 7, a series entitled Lostness, uh, the oneness of lostness. You can see the letters O-N-E that spell one. Are, they look different than the other letters. They, they were formed with names of real people that you really know, that you texted into us, that you're praying that God would either save them or they would turn back to God. So you're praying for them to repent. And so we want to be intentional about praying for our ones. And so this series really focuses on the lostness and the oneness of that lostness. So this month, we're going to walk through Luke 15. Next month, I'm actually going to teach you how to engage your one in a conversation with the gospel. I'm looking forward to that. But here's my question to you before we even get started on this two-month journey. Here's a question that we all have to answer. Would it be worth it if just one, now, now keep in mind, on Sunday, May 24th, I challenge you to text in a name of someone uh, that you're praying for that God will grant repentance to. And we've gotten names every week since then. We're well over 400 plus names. So here's the question. Would it be worth it if we did a two-month focus on our ones to pray for them and engage them? Would it be worth it if just one of those 400 either came to Christ, repented, were discipled, got connected to one of our campuses. Would it be worth it for just one? Let, let me ask it this way, and I appreciate those amens, amen. Let me ask it this way. Would heaven even take notice over just one? Well, let's find out. I like your answer. I like your answer. Look at Luke 15, verse 1 through verse 7. And in the Gospel of Luke, in this chapter in particularly, there are, seems like, as we've read it all growing up, these parables, it seems like there's three of them. Jesus refers to it as one parable, and we'll get into more of that as we dive more into this series. But today we're going to focus on the first seven verses, beginning with verse number one in Luke chapter 15. So, check out verse number one. Verse number one is like revival has broken out. Right, like true heartfelt revival is broken. Like people who are far from God are drawing near to Him. Check this out, verse one. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near Him to hear Him, to listen to Him. That's a revival breaking out right there. But then you got these religious folks, verse two. See what they're doing. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to rejoice right? No, they're not rejoicing. They're grumbling. They, they began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country or the open pasture, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so grateful that we can gather together today in person or online and dive into your word and unpack this parable and be convicted and be challenged, be encouraged that lost souls will be saved, that saved souls will be sanctified even more into the likeness of your son. We ask for miracles to take place today. We ask for decisions to be made in response to the grace of your gospel. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. And the church said, So, I want to tackle this subject today. Just one? I mean, come on, really? Just one? So we're going to tackle that subject today. And that's how we're going to do it. I've got five points of application I want to walk through. Uh, these seven verses. So here's, I'm going to waste no time. Here's the first point of application, and it reads this way. Join Jesus in conversing with just one. I mean, this was Jesus' model. This is how Jesus did it. He, he, he talked with people one conversation at a time, right? In his incarnate state, Jesus could only be in one place at one time. So he conversed with people one at a time. So join Jesus in conversing with just one. Notice how the picture is painted for us in Luke 15. There's these groups of people. There's tax collectors here. There's sinners here. There's Pharisees and there's scribes. So who are the tax collectors? Well, the tax collectors were viewed by the Jews in a very negative light. In fact, they were viewed this way, as despised traitors or turncoat Jews. For these tax collectors, what they did is they turned on their own people Uh, these Jewish tax collectors, and they bought into these Roman tax collecting franchises and they stole money to line their own pockets and took taxes, taking advantage of their Jewish brothers and sisters to line their own pockets and to line Rome's pockets. In fact, we know this in Luke 19, Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus and he was transformed by Jesus, he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, if I have defrauded anybody of anything, I will pay it back fourfold. I don't know about you. I've never received any tax return in my life that was quadrupled, right? I mean, it's never happened to me. So obviously this man was changed, but they were viewed very negatively from the Jewish people, including the Pharisees and scribes. So those are the tax collectors. In fact, St. Chrysostom said this about the tax collector. The tax gatherer is the personification of licensed violence, of legal sin. Okay, so they were not viewed positively. Then you have the sinners. Now these were folks who were immoral according to the Pharisees. The Pharisees had over 600 laws that they added to the Ten Commandments. Little petty laws that they would keep. And if you didn't keep them, you were an outcast, you were a sinner in their eyes. And so they didn't view them in a positive light either. In fact, if you would think about the tax collectors and sinners in our culture today, a lot has been talked about about this cancel culture, that we're just going to cancel you, and we're going to cancel this and cancel that. So the scribes and the Pharisees would look at the tax collectors and sinners as a canceled culture. They just canceled them, right? That's how they viewed them. In fact, William Barclay captured it uh, so succinctly in in this statement, and and I'm going to quote to set it up. 
So this is what he said about the Pharisees viewing the tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees gave to people who didn't keep the law a general classification. They called them the people of the land. All right, And there was a complete barrier between the Pharisees and the people of the land. The Pharisaical regulations laid it down. When a man is one of the people of the land, entrust no money to him, take no testimony from him, trust him with no secret, <laughs> do not appoint him to be the guardian of an orphan, do not make him the custodian of any charitable funds, do not accompany him on a journey, a Pharisee was forbidden to be the guest of any such man or woman or to have him or her as his guest. If at all possible, they were to have no business dealings with them at all. In fact, strict Jews would say this. Not that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, but there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated. They just didn't view them in a positive light. And yet, revival's breaking out. They are drawing near to... Those who are far from God are drawing near to here to hear Him. Man, the revival is setting in. And these sinners and tax collectors want to hear more. Jesus said back at the end of verse 14, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so they're hearing. They want to hear the good news. They want to hear the gospel. And so church, let me ask you this question. Is this what we really want for the 400 plus people? Do we really want them to come to faith in Christ? Like, do you really want your one to draw near to the Lord and to hear Him? And to trust Him and to be saved and to be brought back? God, do you really want that? If so, what if that means we have to change the way we do things? What if that means that we have to say bye-bye to some religious traditions that we've held to? What if that means some things have to change? Because here, quite frankly, listen, if Jesus had held to the pharisaical regulations and said, I can't be the guest of a sinner, nor can a sinner be the guest of me, then these would have never eaten with him. They would have, he would have never received these sinners. They would have never been drawn to him. But that's not what Jesus held to. Jesus held to the good news. He came to seek and save the lost. So you've got to ask yourself the question. Are you willing to lay down on the altar any kind of religious tradition that you're holding to that is keeping your one from coming to Christ? Are you willing to trade that in for the souls that are lost that need to be saved? The Pharisees did not. They didn't want any part of it. They didn't want any part of it. And they grumbled. It reminds me of Moses and the people of God out in the wilderness and listening to that grumbling and murmuring of the people out for 40 years grumbling. Moses proved that you don't have to be a cannibal to be fed up with people. Certainly 40 years he would have been fed up with listening to all the murmuring. And that's so similar here. So here's what the Pharisees are saying. They're calling these sinners sinners. And Jesus does the same thing. He recognizes they're sinners. But the Pharisees are saying these people are sinners because they sin. Because they don't keep our pharisaical laws. Jesus said, nope. We sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because that's who we are. We are sinners. We have all gone astray. Like this sheep, we've walked away. <laughs> we've separated ourselves from God and through our sin. And so we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. So Jesus didn't lower the bar for the gospel. He raised the bar. He even said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, 
and the scribes, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning what? That Jesus raised the bar. He didn't lower the bar of the gospel. He didn't water it down. He raised it and said, look, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you, if you harbor lust in your heart over any woman, you've already committed adultery. He raised it. Jesus was saying, hey, Pharisees and scribes, you're sinners too. Like, we're all sinners. We're all separated from God. We all need the gospel. Beware of anybody who waters down the gospel. A.W. Tozer said it like this, Beware of watering down the gospel until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it wouldn't hurt anyone. And if it were medicine, it wouldn't cure anyone. Jesus didn't do that. Join Jesus in conversing with just one. It's Jesus' model. That's what he did. One of the stories in Christian history that is little known is the, the, the story of the Vikings, the pagan Vikings, and how they came to faith in Christ. It's, it's an incredible story as they invaded Britain in AD 793 and just ransacked communities and monasteries and churches. And the British Christians would cry out and pray, From the fury of the Northmen, O Lord, deliver us. And God began to do that. And the way he did that was these Vikings would run into common people in the marketplace and they'd have day-to-day conversations. And they'd trust Christ and be saved. And it took a while, but over 400 years, in the year 1200, most of the Scandinavian nations became thoroughly Christian. Why? Because the believers followed Jesus' model. One conversation at a time. One conversation with blind Bartimaeus as he was begging. Jesus had one conversation with the criminal on the cross as he was dying. He had one conversation with Martha as she was mourning. He had one conversation with Zacchaeus in his house. He had one conversation with doubting Thomas as he was doubting. One conversation with, with, with the rich young ruler who was being ruled by his riches. He had one conversation uh, with the woman at the well. One conversation with Nicodemus at night. One conversation at a time. This is his model. This is our purpose. This is our vision to connect people, point people to Jesus, one conversation at a time. So join Jesus in that effort. Number two, we need to join Jesus in valuing just one. I mean, think about what Jesus is saying here. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one? Think about that. Jesus' message to these, to these Pharisees is that from heaven's point of view, there is no single man, woman, boy, or girl who is a hopeless case. As far as heaven's concerned, there are no lost causes. There's no one who is too far gone beyond grace, according to heaven. And the Pharisees needed to hear that. They needed to know that. So Jesus says, what man of you, if you've got 100 sheep and one strays away, you're going to leave the 99 safe in that open country. You're going to go after the one. I know we think about one as so insignificant. I mean, statistically speaking, one, from our perspective, is insignificant. Think about it. Take baseball, okay? Take a batter in baseball. Let's say a batter gets 99 hits out of 100. That's pretty good batting average. Probably the best batting average in the history of baseball, I'd imagine. I think Ty Cobb has maybe the highest at just under 400. 
So 40 times, 36 times out of 100, he got a hit. Think about 99 times out of 100. For most of us, I believe that would be good enough. (laughs) The one would just be so insignificant. If you made 99 on every test, you'd have straight A's. I believe you, most of us would say, okay, that's good enough, right? 99 out of 100, most, in fact, some of you are basing your whole health on this thing called hand sanitizer. And it kills on every bottle. It says 99.9 whatever percent of germs. Not 100%, but 99. That seems to be good enough, right? 99 out of 100 in most cases for us is good enough. But church, according to the gospel, it's not good enough for God. Every soul is precious to him. He values the one just as much as he values the 99. And he values the 99 just as much as he values the one. We need to value every soul like Jesus does. Now, does that mean every person is going to be saved? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all because we have free will to choose to reject him. So it doesn't mean that at all. But maybe you do have a loved one, a neighbor, a friend. And you've said to yourself, you know, I wanted to text their name to 79969. I've been wanting to do that. I've been wanting to text their name in so the Red Bank Baptist Church family could pray for my one, pray for my mom, dad, brother, sister, whomever, spouse, child, parent, whomever. I I want them to pray for them. But I haven't texted their name in because I just believe they're a lost cause. I just believe they're too far gone. I've tried and tried for years and they don't want to hear it. I just believe they're a hopeless case. Let me tell you something. According to heaven, there there are no hopeless cases according to heaven. Not one. So go ahead right now and text their name to 79969. We want to pray for them. So text now that name to 79969. Johnny Hunt said it like this. If 10%, if 10% of church attenders in the Southern Baptist Convention decided to pray for and see one person come to Christ over the next year, the Southern Baptist Convention would record the highest number of baptisms in her history. One, just one. Just one. Number three, join Jesus in going after just one. Verse four is just an incredible picture of the persistence and perseverance of our Lord. Look, look what it says. Join Jesus in going after your one. Jesus understands something that we need to understand. Some people are lost, okay? Some people are lost. Some of God's sheep are lost. God wants them found, so somebody's got to go after them. Some people are lost, but they don't know they're lost. They don't know they need to be found. Some people are lost. They know they're lost. They don't care to be found. Some people are lost. They know they're lost. They don't know how to be found. Some people don't think they're lost. They don't think they need to be found when indeed they are. Some people don't know they're lost and don't know they need to be found. But there are lost people all around us. And so the Lord says here in verse number 4, you would, they, they'd leave the 99 and go after the one that is lost. The case here is for the sheep that knows it's lost. and can't, In other words, the sheep is not going to come back on its own. It's, not, it's lost. It's going to act like it's lost. It's going to behave like it's lost. Because it's lost. So somebody's got to go after the lost sheep. The good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the lost sheep. 
Will you be the instrument? Will you be the vessel that God will use to go after your one? Somebody's got to go after them. Some of God's sheep are lost. God wants them all found. Somebody has to go after them. A couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, we had some dads up here interviewing some dads. A week of Father's Day. Had some terrible dad jokes. I don't know of any good dad jokes, but these were really terrible terrible dad jokes and one of the guys up here uncharacteristically for him he began to talk about a sweet moment that him and his daughter shared at the magic kingdom that he had her on his shoulder and they were going through at night just him and her and just had that moment of fireworks going off and lights around the castle and just that daddy daughter sweet sweet moment and it made me think of a moment that I had with our youngest Belle when she was three or four in the magic kingdom and I've got her on my shoulder, and she's screaming because we've lost her stuffed animal bear. Y'all have heard this before, B. And I'm racing through the park looking for this stuffed animal. Can't find it anywhere. End up calling Lost and Found. Got intimately acquainted with Lost and Found and how that works. And they were so excited to tell me that 90% of lost items in the Magic Kingdom are found. 90%. It's pretty good odds. Well, I went to Lost and Found the next morning, and sure enough, they had B in the lost and found office. It was a great time to reunite Belle with B. Well, one of the guys I shared that with, one of my friends looked at me and said, you're a better guy than I am, because listen, if that was my daughter and that was that stuffed animal, I wouldn't have looked for that bear at all. That's one lousy bear. I mean, what, why are you looking for that one? Why you spend all that time looking for one lousy bear? And if we're not careful... We can fall into that as believers and say, come on, it's one lousy sheep, right? It's one lousy, good-for-nothing sheep that's gone astray. Do we really want to take that chance with one lousy? Well, here's the reality. Several years ago, a study came out that said 99% of believers do not believe they have the gift of evangelism. Only 1% of people, therefore, could potentially say, well, I need to share my faith. If 99% of us say, well, I don't have that gift, which, by the way, it's not a gift, it's a work that we're to do, then 1% could potentially say, well, we're the only ones that can share our faith, while 99 could say, well, I don't have to do that because I don't have that gift. Well, just think about if we carry that too far, that means that 100% of the lost are banking on 1% of the saved going after them. That is not God's plan. That is not good enough. James Merritt said it like this. If you say you believe the gospel, but you never share the gospel, then you either don't truly believe the gospel, or you really don't understand the gospel. We have to join Jesus in going after our one. And then number four, verse number four and five. Number four is this. Join Jesus in never giving up on your one. Join Jesus in never giving up. On just one. I love the way the language Jesus uses here. He says in verse 4 that he goes after the one until he finds it. You see that? Not until he finds something better to do. <laughs> Not until he finds something else to do. Not until he gets tired and frustrated and worn out and discouraged. No, he, he, he searches until he finds it. And then verse 5, when he has found it. It's not if he finds it. It's when he, when he finds. Listen to me. If you're found by the gospel of grace, then you go find people for the God of grace. Found 
people find people. That's what we're called to do. That's who we are in Christ. Most people stop when they get tired. In in any avenue of life, most people stop when they get tired. For example, one of the greatest miracles under heaven, okay, is the fact that I actually finished my Ph.D. That's a miracle of God. And I told my professors... When they let me in, you have to take a test to get in, you have to take a test to stay in, you have to take a test to get out. So they had three chances to kick me out. And I told them, I said, look, I'm not as brilliant as these other guys. I'm not a smart, my IQ is not high, I'm not highly intelligent at all. These guys, I mean, I was in, I was in the room with these, I would look at these guys and just say, what? I mean, just brilliant, intellectually running laps around me, photographic memories could look at, at pages in a book and just memorize it instantly. I'm talking about brilliant minds. And most of those guys didn't finish the Ph.D. Most of them didn't. I don't know if they got bored because they're so smart. I don't know if they got tired. But most of them didn't finish. They stopped. Most people stop when they get tired. But disciplined people. Disciples of Christ, we don't stop until it's done. We don't stop until the gospel is heard in every nation, in every tongue, in every tribe, in every language. We don't stop until our one is reached with the gospel, or at least have heard the gospel. We don't stop. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your phone out. Okay? If you're in the room or outside of the room, grab your phone. And I want you to go to the bridge. Now the bridge is our online bulletin. So find that online bulletin. If you have text bridge to 79969, you should have gotten it last night, the latest bridge, or a link to it. So click that link. It'll take you to our website. Click on the bridge. And on the second page of this week's edition of the bridge, second page, left top corner, there's a red, red box. And in that box it says, who's your one? Do y'all see that? Yes, no. If you're here at home, do you see that? I want you to tap on that box. It'll take you to another page, and it's a Who's Your One 30-Day Prayer Guide. Okay? Now, if you'll scroll up or down, I don't know which way is which. I'm technologically challenged, but just scroll. And then you'll see a Download the 30-Day Prayer Guide. You touch that red box, and then you'll get the 30-Day Prayer Guide. Here's what we're doing. Starting, this is day one. Today is day, somebody say one. Y'all say one. one. Say one. one. Yeah, today is day one. Not day two, not day three. Today's day one. We're doing this for 30 days. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us through this prayer for day one here in a moment. A very short prayer. Every day is a short prayer. It's an intentional prayer. Very intentional. And for 30 days, you're going to pray for the one you texted in for 30 days. We're going to pray for them by name for 30 days. And so I want to do day one with you today. Wednesday, we'll do another day. On Wednesday and Sundays, we'll do whatever day it is in our time in worship together. But every day, I want you to pray for your one. And it goes something like this. I'm going to pray this one out loud. You insert the name of your one in the blank as we pray this out loud. Don't do that audibly or verbally, but in your spirit. So here we go. This first day one is based on John 14, 6. It says, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. 
So here's the prayer. God, I know there's only one way to salvation. Jesus is clear. He is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And that includes, insert the name of your one. His or her salvation depends on acknowledging Jesus is who he says he is. And he alone is the source of salvation. Use the people and circumstances in so-and-so's life today to point him or her to the reality of Jesus. Give me courage and boldness to call so-and-so to faith in Jesus when the opportunity arises and help me make it clear there is no other way to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. That take a minute, 45 seconds, every day. Voice the prayer assigned for each day from the 30-day prayer guide. Hey, we, we, we need not give up on our one. Join Jesus in never giving up on your one. Listen, for, for four years, now four, somebody say four. Four years, not one year. not th- Four years, I've received a call every week for four years. This is the call I get. This is your last chance to extend the warranty on your car. I get that call every week for four years. That's 208 last chances that I've received to extend the warranty on a vehicle. When I die, when I'm laid in the casket, inevitably there'll be somebody walk up, lean in that I don't know and my family doesn't know that will say, We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. I have have no doubt about that at all. The persistence, the perseverance is impressive that they keep calling and keep calling and keep calling. We're to keep calling men, women, boys, and girls to trust Christ. We're not to stop. That's not who we are. We are followers of Christ. We follow Him. We're to call people to call on Him and never stop making those calls, never give up. We have something far more greater than some extended warranty on some possession. We have the extended life now and forevermore in Christ. Amen? Number five, last one. Join Jesus in rejoicing over just one. Join Jesus in rejoicing over just one. Verse 5, 6, 7 Here's what happens. I, I, I put all these verses together because I, I want you to see the progression of the rejoicing. Like, for example, if you're searching for something and you find it, maybe it's been a while you're searching for it and you find it, you're going to rejoice initially. But, you know, five minutes later, so many minutes later, you're over it, right? I mean, you find it, you rejoice, you're done. That's not how it is with the loss being found. I want you to see the progression of the rejoicing that takes place. For example, in verse 5, he says, when he founds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Do you see that? It doesn't read right here that when Jesus finds this sheep, he lays into it. Like he lets his sheep have it. You good for nothing, lousy sheep. He doesn't ridicule the sheep. He doesn't rebuke the sheep. He doesn't read the sheep the riot act. He doesn't rant and rave on the sheep. He doesn't rail on the sheep. Wouldn't you do that? I know I would. What does he do? He takes that sheep. He puts the sheep on his shoulders. 
and starts rejoicing. Wow. You know, Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like he put the cross on his shoulders and he carried it. Like he put your sin on his shoulders and my sin on his shoulders and he carried it to the tree and he nailed it to the cross and he died taking sin and death to the grave, killing it by way of his resurrection and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God and he did all that not because it was fun but even still he rejoiced for the joy that was set before him you and me and all those who would come to the Father through the Son all of those who would look and see Jesus high and lifted up and be drawn to him All those whose sins would be carried away by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't cover up our sin. He removes them as far as the east is from the west from us. This is our good shepherd. He has done this for you. And he has done this for me. And when he died at Calvary's hill for your sins and mine and was resurrected, and every time a lost person trusts in that good news, there is rejoicing in heaven. And so Jesus rejoiced when he found this sheep in this parable. This shepherd is actually Jesus himself. The 99 are the Pharisees and scribes. The 1 are the sinners and tax collectors. So Jesus is trying to teach these Pharisees and scribes that heaven, according to heaven, there is no hopeless cases and he died for you and he died for me why because you were not a hopeless case nor was I that he valued us for the one who is worthy we were worth it for him to go and die on the tree it was for the joy set before him not because it was fun for him to do a fun activity but because he longed for you and he longed for me and he loves you and he loves me and he laid down his life for his friends so that you and I might experience life now and forevermore. So he rejoiced when he found the sheep. And then look what happens. When he gets home, when the shepherd comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says, rejoice with me. Like, hey, rejoicing demands participation. Rejoicing demands more. He says, I'm not going to do this on my own. Y'all come and rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And then verse 7 Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven. So now heaven gets in on the party. So you've got the one who found the lost sheep rejoicing, his family and friends rejoicing, heaven is rejoicing. Then verse 10, just look at the progression of rejoicing. Verse 10 says, now the angels of God are getting in on the rejoicing. It's just growing and growing and growing. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. There is much rejoicing over one that is lost. Is just one worth it? If only one of these 400 plus people come to faith in Christ, church, is it worth it? Well, guess what? Today, we've already received tech, one at 8.15 and one at 9.30, from people who said, thank you for praying for my one. They got saved this week. So we've had two of these already saved. Amen. And we hadn't even really started with the focus of praying and 
engaging them with the gospel. Praise the Lord. Yes, one is worth it. We celebrated last week three baptisms here at 1045. We baptized Maddie Henley was one of them. And uh, she's not very tall. Uh, she's tall in personality, but not very tall physically. And so we had a pot that she stood on in the baptistry. Had a little pot that she could stand on. And I was talking to Wiley after the baptism, just thanking him for getting that pot in there. And he said, you know what happens when I drain the water out? And listen, if you don't know this, you, you can't always believe everything Wiley says. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Wiley has been serving our church for 40 years, for almost 40 years. <laughs> Amen. And you can't always believe. He's, he's behind the scenes kind of guy. Like he got the air on today. Like at 8.15, it was 80-something degrees in here. It was hot. The chiller died. So he magically got it working again. Like Wiley can do it all. And he was telling me last week about this water in this pot uh, on, on the floor. That when he drains all the water, that the pot still holds water because you turn the pot upside down. And he says, there's still water on the pot. I said, why? There's no way there's water in the pot. There's grooves in the, in the floor. The water would seep out of the pot. He said, nope, there's water under the pot. Even when there's no water in the baptistry, there's still water. I said, there's no way. So he took a video. So watch this. This is proof. Yeah. Well, here he is. Obviously, y'all are not impressed with that at all. That blew my mind. I mean, that blew my mind. But even after all that water's gone, after all the water's gone, after the baptism were over, listen, the rejoicing doesn't stop. The celebration doesn't stop. Heaven's rejoicing. The angels are rejoicing. You and I, church, should rejoice that this Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. So here's our challenge today. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Join Jesus at once. One of the things I did in experiencing God years ago was find out where God is and join Him. I'm challenging you today. Join Jesus at once in conversing with people, in valuing people, in going after people. Never stop giving up on people. Never give up on them. And rejoice over just one. You know, I love how this starts, that Jesus is receiving people. He's eating with them. Like at a table, he's eating with them. Do, do you realize that we've been invited to, to dine at the marriage supper of the Lamb for us that are in Christ? You understand that Jesus is preparing a table in, in the presence of our enemies. Do, do you know that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes? Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to invite you today, if you've never done it before, to put your faith in Christ. He's done everything possible for you to enter into a relationship with Him. So why would you, why would you turn away from that? Open your heart. Humble yourself. Believe that Jesus did, in fact, die for your sin and was raised to life. And confess Him as Lord. And the Bible says you'll be saved. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We want to talk to you about that. So text the word CONNECT to 79969. We have somebody ready to talk to you at this very moment. So you text CONNECT to 79969. It'll prompt you on what to do next to tell us you want to have a conversation about Jesus. Maybe baptism is something you're interested in. You can text CONNECT to 79969. And we'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're looking for some way to give and support the ministry. You can text GIVE to 79969. Or maybe you have a prayer request. 
text prayer to 79969 or text connect and that will prompt you on the prayer baptism Jesus trusting him as your savior so in other words the best way to connect with us is 79969 text connect to that number you know church too often we're known for our criticism and our judgmental spirit Mm. and what we're against right I love what one pastor said recently yet we we're not known for our love yet we were rescued by love drawn into the story of love by a God of love who was first to love and sent his son of love as a sacrifice of love so we could become the people of love so commit yourself to love on your neighbors love your family love your ones invite them and dine with them put some strange feet under your table as one pastor says which means just invite some strangers some neighbors some folks you've never dined with before to dine with you and open up a conversation with them about the Lord join Jesus at once that's what Jesus did that's what he would still be doing if he was here that's what we're called to do is to join Jesus at once why because the same one who said all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me is the same one who said or of him was said he alone has authority on earth to forgive sin so join Jesus at once for whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already so join Jesus at once for now God calls people everywhere to repent he commands all people to repent so join Jesus at once for the same one who died once for all sins is the same one who said I died but behold I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades so join Jesus at once for God shows his love in this that while we were still enemies of God Christ died for us so join Jesus at once Because this same Jesus who said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, is the same one who prayed on the cross, dying for your sins and mine. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Join Jesus at once. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, join Jesus at once. Do you realize we've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Why would you turn that invitation down? Join Jesus at once. Don't you realize that this Jesus, who is known as the King of the Jews, has written on his thigh the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So join Jesus at once. For on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name and that in your name? And he'll tell them plainly, depart from me, you doer of lawlessness, for I never knew you. Oh, join Jesus at once, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Join Jesus at once, for he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Won't you join Jesus now? Like, join Jesus at once. For the same one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, is the same one of whom it was said, He is risen, He is risen indeed. Join Jesus at once, for He alone came to seek and to save the lost. Join Jesus at once, for He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Join Jesus at once. Once for harvest plenty, workers few, Jesus sent them out two by two, including you. So join Jesus at once. Church, let's worship and join Jesus at once.